Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 37. Mark writes, And they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this on the coin? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to him, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection. When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the hearts and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Amen. Now this uh, section of Mark's gospel we've been looking at on Sunday nights is all about the authority of of Jesus, his supreme authority as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And the question this section of Mark raises for us is, will we or will we not accept his supreme authority 
will we acknowledge the Lord Jesus or not to be the Messiah, the Son of God? Will we believe in him or not? And of course, that is where Mark's text leads us, accepting Jesus' authority as the Messiah means believing in him as our Messiah. Now, these chapters, and uh, you'll have picked this up from the section that I just read, are a debate about authority, a debate between Jesus and the Jewish religious leadership of his day. Our passage refers to the Pharisees and the Herodians. You'll see that in verse 13, the Sadducees in verse 18, and the scribes, verse 28. Now, they are all groups within the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, if you like, simply the religious leadership of Jesus' day. One of the big dangers of studying from and learning from these gospel accounts is parodying these people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and others, as some kind of pantomime villains. If you've been to a pantomime and the baddie comes on, everyone goes, boo, he's behind you. We must not think of them in that way. We must not think of those who questioned Jesus' authority in that way as pantomime villains and boo them when they come on stage. They are simply the religious leadership of his day. They are people who taught the Bible. They are people who taught about a day when the Messiah would come. They are church leaders responsible for teaching the Bible, ministers and elders and more generally, people who look like they are the people of God, people who go to church, people just like us. Mark wants us not to parody them as pantomime villains, but to be ready to listen on the basis that we might just be the people in his account. Now, in each one of these episodes from chapter 12, verse 13 to verse 37 that we read, Jesus demonstrates his authority by answering questions put to him. And he demonstrates his authority not to score a point, but to indicate what it means to be a true follower of God. And in so doing, exposes the hypocrisy in our hearts of the difference between being a true follower of God and someone who purports to be but is not. Now, you'll see inside the service sheet uh, four headings, inside the order of service. A true follower of God is someone who gives their life to God, who knows God, who loves God, who believes that Jesus is the Christ. In some ways, Mark's passage very aptly describes Tarek. A true follower of God is someone who gives their life to God, who knows God, who loves God, who believes Jesus is the Christ. Now, each in turn. First verses 13 to 17, a true follower of God is someone who gives their life to God. Now, the clear sense we get from verse 13 of persistent challenge to Jesus' authority. There is no let-up for Jesus. People are, are at him, at his heels. 
The intent, the end of verse 13, is to trap him in his talk. So verse 14, they, that is the religious leaders, came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Their comments are utterly insincere, but nonetheless entirely accurate. Jesus is true. He is the embodiment of truth. He does not care about anyone's opinion. He is not swayed by appearances. He truly teaches the way of God. And so in their very words to undermine his authority, they reveal it. The question they put to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Is designed, and one can imagine that all sorts of discussion and planning went into formulating that question. The question they put to Jesus is designed, as one writer puts it, to impale Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. If he answers, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, that will discredit him in the eyes of the people. And the only reason they have not arrested Jesus is because he is currently popular. If he says, you should not pay taxes to Caesar, that will discredit him in the eyes of the Roman authorities, and they will come down on him like a thousand bricks. It is a smart question to impale him on the horns of a dilemma. And Jesus' answer is very powerful as he demonstrates his authority in the face of their hypocrisy. Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, a Roman coin, and let me look at it. And so one of them gets the Roman coin out of his pocket, and he gave it to Jesus. He took the coin. And looking at the coin with them, Jesus said, whose likeness or inscription is on the coin? Now, the word Jesus chooses is precise. Whose image is on the coin? It's the same word as Genesis 1.26 that speaks about humanity created in God's image. Whose image, he asks them, is on the coin? It is Caesar's head. So then Jesus says, give to Caesar what is his. Give to Caesar that which bears his image. But give to God that which bears God's image. What is it that bears God's image? Tarek bears God's image. You and I bear God's image. Humanity bears God's image. Give Caesar his coin because it bears his image. Give yourself. Not what you do. Yourself. Your whole humanity. To the God who created you in his image. Submit your all to him. Serve him. How do you view yourselves, Jesus asked these religious leaders. How do you view yourself, Jesus asks us tonight. Jesus says, you are God's. You are made in his image to live under his rule, to submit to him, 
and they marveled at him. What a brilliant answer he gives them. They fall silent as we are listening. I think for an instant, they sensed that he spoke the truth. I think they heard truth, but not for long. They could not pale Jesus on the horns of his dilemma, but soon they would impale him on the bar of a cross. It is a very dangerous spot to stand on, the spot when you come face to face with the authority of Jesus Christ. You glimpse it, you sense it, you see it, you get it, and you do one or two things. You accept it, or you reject it. A true follower of Jesus is someone who gives their life to God. Second, verses 18 to 27, a true follower of Jesus is somebody who knows God. Hard on the heels of the Pharisees and the Herodians are the Sadducees. Verse 18, Sadducees came to Jesus who say there is no resurrection. Now, the Sadducees, as a group within Judaism, did not believe in life after death, and Jesus did. Jesus has taught repeatedly in their presence and in the presence of the crowds that he would die and after three days rise again. Mark records that teaching in chapters 9 and 10. Jesus believed in the resurrection. It was the very heart of his message. And this group of Sadducees pose a question to Jesus in order to show the absurdity of belief in the resurrection and thereby to undermine Jesus' authority because he believed in the resurrection. Now, if the Pharisees and Herodians in the previous encounter had carefully considered their question, this question from the Sadducees is brilliant. Teacher, they say, Moses wrote for us a law that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And they are referring to what is known in Jewish law as levirate marriage. There are some references in Genesis and Deuteronomy to that. The Sadducees knew the Scriptures inside out. How many of you knew about leveret marriage? A practice whereby a man was obliged, if his brother died, to marry his brother's wife if they had no children. And this practice was in order to preserve the family line. Based on the principle of leveret marriage, they pose a question to Jesus. Verse 20, seven brothers, the first took a wife. When he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, they all died, she died, no children, in the resurrection. Who's she going to marry? All seven? Five? Four? One? Which? Doesn't that simple scenario, which is biblical after all, show us that the concept of resurrection life after death is absurd? And they could, or at least they thought they would see the authority 
of Jesus draining out of him. And uh, I guess they wanted to think that the crowd would begin to think, well, fair enough, Jesus was a powerful teacher, but these Sadducees, well, they know their scriptures. They've got 85 PhDs between them. Wise, learned, sophisticated. They can run rings round the banal, simplistic teaching of the Lord Jesus. Just let me say to anyone here who's studying a PhD in theology, PhDs are great things. I've got one. Not, though, to rob you of the simple truth of the gospel, to undergird it with rigor. Jesus' response to them is pretty devastating and powerful. You are quite wrong, literally. Verse 27, you are way off beam. That's what it means. Before that, he says, why they are wrong, verse 24. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You do not know the Scriptures, but they were experts in the Scriptures. They know their Bibles. To be fair, they knew about levirate marriage. Genesis 38, 8, Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 6. Quite probably more than you and I know. But Jesus says they don't know the Scripture Responding to their specific question about resurrection, he says, first verse 25, that the life to come, the resurrected life, is not a prolonged earthly life. It's not an extension of what we experience now, but an entirely new dimension. Earthly conditions, earthly conventions no longer apply. Earlier realities are insufficient to explain the life to come. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Verse 26, the Lord Jesus is even more pointed. He quotes from the Scripture they knew well. He quotes from Exodus. In the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, to Moses, saying, I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. But the God of the living, you are quite wrong. And the bigger principle here is this. You can be an expert in the Bible without understanding it. You can teach it without understanding it. You know what Tarek said? You can know it without knowing what it means. You can know it, what it says, but not accept what it says. You can know what it says and twist it and spin it to say it says something else. Jesus said to them, you do not know the Scriptures. What would he say to us? Do you know the Scriptures? Do you know the Bible? Do you accept what it says? Do you live in light of it? Do you believe it, I guess, is the heart of it. A true follower of God is someone who knows Scripture knows the Bible, and accepts it as the Word of God. He also says to them, you do not know the power of God. What does he mean when he says to them, you do not know the power of God? Well, he says to them, first of all, you do not know what the Scripture says about resurrection. But then he says, you do not know the power of God. You do not believe that the power 
of God in the gospel that speaks of things like resurrection is true in your life. Did Tarek strike you tonight as someone who is coming to know the Scriptures, to understand them, to believe in them? Yes. Did he strike you as someone who knows the Scriptures but does not know God? No. He knows the Scriptures. He knows the power of God. He is beginning to know what the Apostle Paul said when he says, I want to know God and the power of His resurrection. Do you know the Scriptures in your heart? And do you know the power of God in your life? Silence again. And then thirdly, one of the scribes comes up to the Lord Jesus. Verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another. The disputing he hears is the interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees. Isn't it powerful, the Lord Jesus? You know, they come up with this brilliant thing on leveret marriage and seven husbands or wives. I can't remember which way around it was. Just to discredit Jesus' authority. And Jesus says to him, you just don't know what the Bible says and you do not know the power of God. Well, they would nail his hands to a cross two days later too. Verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. And he said, which commandment is the most important of all? This individual, again an expert in Scripture, speaks not with insincerity but sincerity. There is no hostility. He's not trying to trick Jesus, undermine his authority. He has been struck, I think, with Jesus' teaching, and he speaks to him with genuine sincerity. As we uh, do Christianity Explored in the church very regularly, it's been such an encouragement that those doing Christianity Explored this time around come to the Bible with genuine sincerity to know the answers. Tarek came to quench, not to pose to Josh and me and Kath a tongue-twisting question that would expose to us the lack of authority. He came to quench like this scribe came to Jesus because he wanted to find an answer to the deepest questions of life. What Jesus is the most important Commandment. What is it that sums it all up? What does it mean to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A true follower of God is someone who loves God and others. A life of love, a life of wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God and to others, that is where the rubber has hit the road. And a whole other world from the religious atmosphere around Jesus that day. These Pharisees and Herodians and Sadducees, their life's anything but a life of wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God and their neighbor, rather a life of rules and ritual and religion, power and their authority. And it's striking in Tarek's testimony that he concluded that Jesus not only was his Savior, but that Jesus had liberated him to a life of love? Is that not what Jesus said to that man? They're not pantomime heroes, remember. They're just normal. They look the part. They're people in churches, maybe even in chambers, who don't really love God and those around them. Love and devotion in action that influences decisions. The kind of love and devotion in action that invested in Tarek to invite him to things. Now, I'm not shoehorning that in to tell you that you need to invite your friends to quench. You just saw it before your eyes. Behind that is a friendship of many, many months. What the person who invited him did not know was what God was doing over 30 years. Love for God and for one's neighbor. The scribe's reaction is striking. Like the others who've been on the spot confronted with the authority of Jesus, what will he say? I guess the other religious leaders, the group of Sadducees, will be listening to his response. Picture the scribe here, Jesus. There they are. All the others around them, and they were all saying, well, what's he going to say? He said, Jesus, you're right. You're right. You've truly said that there is only one God. To love him with all your heart. To love your neighbor. With all the strength you can muster, there's nothing else to be said, is there? Jesus looked at him and he said, you're not far. You're this close to the kingdom of God. And where is the kingdom of God? Standing right in front of him, Jesus Christ is the gate No one dared to ask him any more questions. But two days later, they would nail his hands to a cross to silence him for all of three days. Now, let me finish up with the final little bit, verses 35 to 37. A true follower of God believes in Jesus as Christ, 
the Son of God. In each of the episodes we have considered, Jesus demonstrates his authority by answering questions put to him in a way that powerfully shows what it means to be a true follower of God. And now in this final section, the spotlight is on Jesus. He is asking the questions, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And what Jesus is referring to is the teaching of the scribes that the Christ, the Messiah, would be in the line or a descendant of David. Son of David, in that sense. How can that be true? How can the Christ, the Messiah, be David's son when David himself said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and uh, Mark quotes from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, how can he be David's son and David's Lord at the same time? The answer is that Jesus is both the son of David and the son of God. What a powerful moment that must have been as they listened to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah himself speaking in the temple, the son of David, the son of God. A true follower of God believes in Jesus as Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. On the spot, confronted with the authority of Jesus, Mark concludes, and the great throng heard him gladly. But the moment passed, and two days later they would cry, crucify him. And so a true follower of God is someone who gives their life to God, as Tarek has done. Someone who knows God, who knows the Bible and the power of God, as Tarek does. Someone who loves God, as he does and loves others. Every time someone becomes a Christian and joins a church family, they inject all this stuff into a church. Isn't that great? Tarek, we're looking forward to what you're going to do us amongst us. A true follower of God believes in Jesus as Christ, the Son of God. I want to leave you with the words Jesus said to that scribe, that sincere man, that individual. He said to him, you remember, you are not far from the kingdom of God. John Wesley is a name that some of you will know, a very famous preacher in history. He woke up one morning and he opened his Bible. Always dangerous when you open your Bible and see where the pin will land. John Wesley opened up his Bible and the pin landed on these words, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And he concluded, I am not far, but I am not there. Tarek concluded that a number of times. What did John Wesley do? He went to a church that night and heard a sermon on the gospel from Romans and said when he heard it, my heart was strangely warmed and I trusted in Jesus. What did Tarek do? 
when he knew he was not far from the kingdom of God, apart from asking Andy even more questions. He went to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And he sat silent for 10 minutes. And then he read on. And he found through faith in Jesus. He was no longer not far from the kingdom of God, but in the kingdom of God because he trusted in Jesus. And so if you are on the spot, not far from the kingdom of God, keep on asking, keep on listening. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that we've been able to share together tonight. And we pray, Lord God, that Tarek's testimony and this passage in Mark's gospel, when all sorts of people come up against the authority of Jesus, would impact us all. And that if we are not far from the kingdom of God, we would keep on asking questions, keep on listening, be conscious of the risk of rejecting him, and come to that point when we realize that we are in the kingdom of God because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, we pray that Tarek's testimony to us tonight would inspire and encourage us to keep on loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others, not least telling others the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless Tarek and use him. And bless all those he knows and loves. And that includes us as his church family here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.